You're listening to the Course Report Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Course Report is the most complete resource for coding boot camps. On our site, we have thousands of reviews, hundreds of interviews, and a full directory of every coding boot camp around the world. On our podcast, we're sharing everything you need to stay up to date on this blossoming industry. Whether you're a boot camp founder or a future student, we hope you'll learn something on the Course Report Podcast. Okay, happy new year and welcome to the Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. I'm Liz. And I'm Imogen. And we are from the Course Report team. So each month we round up all of the most interesting bootcamp industry news that we read about and talked about in the office and share it with you. And it's January, so it's our first podcast of 2019. And already we are starting this year with a flurry of fascinating news. Yeah, did you see that the new governor of Illinois, J.B. Pritzker, talked about coding boot camps in his inaugural address? Amazing. Yeah, it seems like boot camps just seem to get more and more mainstream in the media and in politics even. I mean, there was basically a battle this January between journalists writing about ISAs. Yes, ISAs, income sharing agreements, were a big theme. And we'll cover all the debate and discussion in the media about that. And what else will we talk about today, Liz? Well, we saw a lot of interest in partnerships between coding boot camps and colleges, so we'll explain why those are happening and how they work. We also saw some nice profiles of boot camps working towards a good cause, and we looked at how apprenticeships fit in with boot camps, so we'll share those stories with you. And of course, we will let you know about all of the newest campuses and courses, including 11 new boot camps that we added to the course report directory. So as we mentioned, one of the top themes in January news was partnerships between coding boot camps and colleges. We have seen this tread for some time, but it came to a head recently because of a proposal which could make these partnerships even stronger. So Liz, where should we start? Sure. Okay, let's start with this potential policy change. So earlier this month, Inside Higher Ed examined a proposal to lift the cap on how much instruction universities can outsource to a non-university partner. Essentially, we're talking about the 50% rule here. Um, and then Politico picked this story up, calling this, quote, Betsy DeVos's bet on boot camps, which I'm not sure is entirely accurate. Um, DeVos is proposing to eliminate the restrictions on how much of a college course can be outsourced, which could potentially allow a student to attend a coding boot camp at a college um, and potentially use federal loans. As this Politico piece points out, and I spoke with the author, Michael Stratford, about this as well, um, we should definitely not forget the other ways that government is already involved in funding boot camps. So since 2017, for example, veterans have been able to use the GI Bill for coding boot camps. And of course, there was Equip, which was an experiment a few years ago to allow a small amount of federal aid to go to boot camps if they partnered with a traditional accredited college. So that policy is now being debated in Congress, and we will obviously keep you updated. And I think, you know, this rule sounds like a huge shift, but it is important to realize that there are already a ton of university and bootcamp partnerships, right, Imogen? Yeah, and there are new ones being announced all the time. One prolific bootcamp provider is Trilogy Education, which Campus Technology profiled in January in an article titled, Why Build a Bootcamp? Which asked, why should universities open a bootcamp? Campus Technology looked at how Trilogy has partnerships with more than 40 universities around the country and overseas. It also mentioned Reverture, which also partners with unis, and took a general look at why universities are partnering with boot camps. 
Liz is quoted extensively in this one. Here is a great quote from Liz about why these partnerships are attractive to both parties. Quote, Boot camps get the panache of working with the university, and universities get the trendy, cutting-edge skills that a boot camp is teaching. The article looks at how coding boot camps bring the latest technology, hands-on teaching, real-world projects, hiring pipelines, and more diversity to university settings. Yeah, that ended up being a really nice landscape, a pretty long article, but a nice landscape of the university boot camps out there right now. And according to Biz Journals Portland, just one other to add to the list, Epicodus is now partnering with Warner Pacific University as well. And then two partnerships between boot camps and Ivy League schools were announced earlier this year. An editorial in the Chronicle of Higher Education looks at how Trilogy Education is partnering with the Harvard Extension School to open a coding boot camp, and Flatiron School is partnering with Yale to open a coding boot camp. Writer Goldie Blumenstick is especially interested in the fact that students who take the Yale Flatiron boot camp are eligible to receive two credits towards a Yale degree, something we don't hear very often in these boot camp college partnerships. And in addition to those partnerships, remember that some universities offer their own coding boot camps. The Omaha World Herald reported on Midland University's Code Academy, which just relaunched. It's a 12-week full-stack program covering front-end, server-side code, databases, UX, UI, and agile methodology. And on a related note to university and coding boot camp partnerships is the topic of income sharing agreements, or ISAs. Yeah, we started hearing about ISAs in the bootcamp space about three years ago, and now they're becoming more and more popular, but it's also sparked a debate in the higher education industry about the pros and cons of offering ISAs. Skills Fund, which is a lending partner, actually just released a white paper on the pitfalls of ISAs. And um, with that in mind, Imogen, tell us about Lambda School's latest fundraise. Yeah, so Forbes, Education, Dive, and others reported that online coding bootcamp Lambda School has raised $30 million to expand its income sharing agreement. This comes after raising $18 million in 2018. This latest round included investors such as Bedrock Capital, Google Ventures, GGV Capital, Vi Capital, Y Combinator, and Sound Ventures, which is Ashton Kutcher's investment fund. Lambda CEO and co-founder Austin Allred said as well as going towards its income sharing agreement, the funding would be used to scale the school, build its hiring network and expand internationally. VCs love Lambda School. And Lambda recently announced their expansion to the UK and Europe. So look out for, I'm actually talking to the director of international expansion tomorrow for an interview. So look out for that interview on our blog about how their income sharing agreement will work outside of the US. Yeah, that'll be a fascinating piece. Look out for that. And Lambda School was also the subject of a piece in the New York Times Dealbook section, which profiled income sharing agreements. They mentioned universities, but really focused on Lambda School's fundraise. Austin Allred, the founder of Lambda School, who is obviously pro-ISAs, puts it this way, quote, There are no schools that are incentivized to make their students successful anywhere. The schools get paid up front. They get paid in cash, whether that's by government or whether that's by an individual. It doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, the schools get paid no matter what. I think in order to create better outcomes, the school has to take the hit, end quote. And that hit, Austin says, is what the ISA threatens for schools that don't do their job. In my opinion, that makes sense to a coding boot camp, which is vocational in nature. But as Andrew Ross Sorkin, who's the author of this New York Times piece, points out, it's a bit more 
more questionable when we apply that to all of higher ed. For example, if ISAs are expanded more widely, it could press programs to ignore a traditional liberal arts education, which has a lower earning power. He also points out that critics argue that ISAs are a form of indentured servitude and that the percentage of income that Lambda takes, which is 17%, is high and has even been described as predatory. And in Purdue's program, and Purdue University is the school, the university that all of these articles and, and journalists kind of focus on when they're talking about ISAs and universities. Um, that program is even more aggressive. It's more like a loan arrangement that could charge really high earning students up to 250% of the cost of their education. And then Forbes published an opinion piece in response to commentators who criticized that New York Times article. Contributor Preston Cooper looks at what he calls myths about income share agreements and why he thinks they are wrong. In response to the claim that, quote, income share agreements are like taxes, end quote, Cooper says that this is incorrect because ISAs are voluntary, and in Lambda's case, students only have to pay if they find a job. To the next myth of, quote, ISAs are like income-based repayment, end quote, Preston replies that with traditional federal student loans, It is the government and taxpayer, not the school, which misses out on money if a student can't pay. Whereas with Lambda's ISA, the school's incentives are aligned with the student because they will lose money if the student is not able to pay. The last myth, quote, ISAs are like indentured servitude, evokes the following response from Cooper. Quote, ISAs are nothing like this. A student who receives an ISA is not obligated to work. During periods when he is not working and has no income, he does not have to make payments on his ISA, end quote. Cooper compares this to colonial indentured servitude, which required workers to work on a ship in exchange for travel to America. And then to continue this battle between journalists this month, Vice published a response in the form of a Q&A with Julie Margetta Morgan, who's a fellow at the left-leaning Roosevelt Institute. Morgan basically says that ISAs don't solve the very root issue that universities are putting people in debt in the first place. And then when asked to think about ISAs at community colleges versus coding boot camps, I think Morgan unfortunately gets this wrong. She implies that at a community college, you know exactly what you're going to get out of it and exactly the job that you're going to get out of it when you graduate, but that the value of coding boot camps are less clear. Um, I don't know where she's getting that community college information, but in fact, it's coding boot camps that are actually being upfront about the salaries, jobs, and placement rates of its students. Not that community colleges aren't doing amazing work, um, but it seems like Julie is an expert on student loans, but not necessarily an expert on coding boot camps. Although I will say that one takeaway from her Q&A, which is super important when we talk about ISAs, is that we have to demand transparency in those ISA contracts, especially in a world where there's no like federal oversight over, over ISAs. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then this debate actually sparked TechCrunch to launch a new series of articles based on technological and social resilience. TechCrunch writer Danny Crichton calls income-sharing agreements like Lambda Schools a type of social resilience solution which allows people to be successful or at least unburdened by debt when the economy takes a downward turn. If they lose a job or can't find one, grads can pause their repayments. 
Okay, so Imogen, that's TechCrunch, Forbes, New York Times, and Vice all talking about ISAs and specifically Lambda School's ISA. Um, so there were actually a lot more articles this month about ISAs, um, but we will post a bunch of those links in the News Roundup blog post when we publish that. If you're looking for more, we will give you links to another ISA criticism by Spectator, another ISA opinion by Forbes contributor Derek Newton, an article in SAC be about a new bill that would require California colleges to run ISAs. And then there's also a Hacker Noon podcast featuring Austin Allred of Lambda School. So plenty to read about ISAs this month. Yeah, kind of ISA overload, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, we talk about coding boot camps every month and every day on the blog. But one question that might get lost sometimes is why do these technology boot camps exist? The first boot camps started out as a way to meet a skills shortage, but is that still their reason or has that evolved? Liz, tell us about an article that looks at why boot camps could be important for individuals. Yeah, we often think about boot camps as an industry filling this skills gap. But in January, Grace Sweeney from Softonic looked at this from the individual's perspective. Um, Boot camps are definitely not only for people who want to completely transition into a new career. And Grace points out that it's important to be constantly learning new skills just to stay relevant, to be more valuable to your clients, um, to be more valuable to your team, etc. And she points out that online courses and coding boot camps like Data Camp and General Assembly are the examples she gives um, are two tools that can help you get there. So the goal would be to upskill. And it looks like people are actually using boot camps to do just that. Spectrum News One looks at how the number of tech workers in the US is growing. The article cites course report research on how many people are graduating from coding boot camps. Our most recent study estimated that more than 20,000 students would graduate in 2018. And the article specifically highlights Case Western Reserve Bootcamp, which has graduated almost 200 people since 2017. And while one side of the spectrum applauds coding boot camps for filling a skills gap, others are obviously critical. J.S. Chen wrote an opinion piece in the very, very left-leaning Jacobin magazine, which warns that the reasons big tech companies are investing in coding and STEM education are not altruistic, but rather to, quote, create a future supply of cheap labor. He mentions partnerships between Google and General Assembly, uh, Facebook and Dev Bootcamp, and the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative backing Andela in Africa. Quote, for tech giants, it's a clever move. They get showered with good PR for practicing diversity and inclusion, despite their own companies not actually being diverse, and save on hiring costs by paying women and black tech workers lower than average salaries. Women and black software engineers both make 8% less money on average than their male and white counterparts, respectively. So there are a lot of kind of assumptions that Chen makes in this article. It's very long. I recommend reading the whole thing if you want. And it's clearly a socialist leftist take. Some of it I don't agree with. Some I think are, are assumptions that don't really hold up. But one thing that Chen points out, I think, is really important. He says, quote, by supporting coding boot camps and MOOCs, tech companies shift the responsibility of training workers to the workers themselves, end quote. And I think that as an industry, we're kind of figuring this out and we need to figure out how to shift the burden onto companies um, and employers to pay for reskilling and training instead of putting that burden on individuals. So, yeah, this is a really interesting take. 
And then on a side note, Liz, you mentioned Andela, a tech training and job placement program in Africa, and TechCrunch reports that they recently raised $100 million in a new round of funding from Generation Investment Management, which coincidentally is a fund co-founded by former Vice President Al Gore. And as you said, TechCrunch mentions that in the past, Andela has also received investment from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and other partners. The article also dives into the business model of Andela, which is quite fascinating. Andela puts students through a free six-month coding bootcamp, then those graduates are placed with an Andela customer to work as a remote employee for at least two years. Andela receives a fee for each developer and passes on a third of that fee to the developer themselves. Yeah, that's really interesting. So they're keeping two-thirds of that fee from the employer. Uh, So that's kind of like a kind of deferred tuition ISA model, but in a different way. And then the most popular reason for attending a coding bootcamp is to switch careers, uh, to find that more fulfilling career in tech. And Bustle gets advice this month from Rebecca Rombaum at Flatiron School about changing careers later in life. So that's a concern that we hear a lot from students, um, how to get into tech when you have had a completely different career beforehand. Maybe you're on the older side of the spectrum. Um, But Rebecca gives some good advice. She says, quote, at Flatiron School, we've worked with opera singers who say that interpreting and articulating the language of music is similar to reading and creating elegant applications with code. We've graduated attorneys who note that coding shares the logical rigor and uses the same detail-oriented problem-solving skills that they used when practicing law. Rebecca says, you get to decide how to tell your story, and your story is the bridge between your on-paper past and your chosen future. That's a very poetic way to put it. And it's not just coding skills that are in demand. TechCrunch contributor Bob Ackerman Jr. looks at the lack of people with cybersecurity skills in 2019, mentioning his expectations for more cyber attacks this year. He looks at the typical salary for cybersecurity professionals, which is around $95,000, and how long it takes to fill those jobs, and cites a study that estimates there are 3 million cybersecurity jobs going unfilled globally. Ackerman looks at how companies feel they need to hire people with college degrees in computer science, computer engineering, stats, or math to fill these roles, but he explains how that's not actually necessary because of the growing number of cybersecurity boot camps and community college cyber programs. He mentions boot camps including SecureSet Academy, OpenCloud Academy, and Evolve Security Academy. And next up, we want to talk about a few boot camp initiatives we read about that are aiming to help people who perhaps come from hardship to lift themselves into a great career in tech. This isn't one of our stories for the month, but I actually went to a graduation day for CodeBridge's 10th graduating class, which was really cool to see that partnership actually stand the test of time because they've been doing that for a couple of years now. Okay, so Imogen, tell us about this first story. It sounds a little bit like a modern day version of the Princess Diaries. Yeah, this is a this is kind of a cute one. Um, the Telegraph reports that a Korean American tech entrepreneur who lives in Silicon Valley was recently and unexpectedly nominated to become the next in line to the Korean emperorship, and he now plans to launch a free coding school in South Korea when he ascends the throne. He wants to help more Koreans become tech literate. Um, but just a couple of quirky notes unrelated to the boot camp. This guy, Andrew Lee, who's now the crown prince of South Korea, has only been to South Korea four times and says he barely speaks Korean. And also most South Koreans have forgotten about this 500-year-old royal dynasty. 
Well, still cool to be a prince. Um, (laughs) All right. So I mentioned Codebridge before. Here's another partnership that's actually lasted for quite some time. Queen's Eagle profiled Full Stack Academy's Web Development Fellowship in partnership with the City of New York's Tech Talent Pipeline. This is a nice piece. I learned from this that they have now graduated 34 low-income graduates um, who have landed good-paying jobs through WDF. And also, I just interviewed Nimit, the founder of Full Stack Academy, and Erica, who's a graduate of WDF. Um, And that's going to be on a podcast episode that'll be out soon. And then a piece by Arizona Public Media profiles Olacode, a bootcamp which aims to help deportees from the U.S. gain skills to find a job. We've mentioned this bootcamp many times, but their story is particularly pertinent right now with the political situation. And this bootcamp is actually getting applications from migrants from El Salvador and Venezuela who are unable to get into the U.S. There was also a second profile of Olacode in TechCrunch this month, profiling Olacode's female founder, Marcela Torres, who talks about how in demand this sort of education is in Mexico, both in terms of the migrant demographic they are targeting and in terms of the type of skills that they are teaching. One graduate says he thinks if there were more opportunities like this, fewer deportees would feel the need to return to the U.S., The article also mentions that Olacode is backed by Hack Reactor Coding Bootcamp, an established U.S. bootcamp. And according to Cheshire Live, UK coding school Code Nation is aiming to train 500 people who are out of work and claiming unemployment benefits to meet the huge demands for digital skills across the country. Two fully funded three-week courses are on offer, a JavaScript web development course and a cybersecurity course. And then This Day Live profiles Girl Code Academy in Nigeria, a bootcamp launched in 2017, which aims to get more women involved in technology. Girl Code Academy offers free eight-week intensive training courses for women who have recently graduated from university. Another trend that makes a lot of sense to us is coding bootcamp grads getting apprenticeships. It seems like a great way for someone who has just learned a new skill to keep learning and get work experience at the same time. Liz, tell us about a new apprenticeship program in Albuquerque. Yeah, we love reading about apprenticeships, and KRQE reported in January that there's an Albuquerque data science company called RS21 who is offering apprenticeships to graduates from Cultivating Coders, which is a coding bootcamp in Albuquerque. RS21 has pledged to take on two to five apprentices a year, beginning at $15 an hour. And then Inside Indiana Business looks at how Kenzie Academy has graduated its first group of students in Indianapolis, Indiana. And then Forbes contributor Allison Doolin Salisbury from Entangled Solutions looks at how Kenzie Academy is partnering with staffing company Kelly Services to place graduates in apprenticeships and jobs. And next up, we want to celebrate some bootcamp success stories really quickly. So Imogen, tell us about a Full Stack Academy grad who learned to code after recovering from an injury. Yeah, so a software engineer at the New York Times wrote a piece for the Times Open blog about her experience overcoming a brain injury and learning to code at Full Stack Academy. Charity Corsino talks about her background in science and telecommunications and how just as she was starting to learn to code, she was in a serious car accident and sustained major brain trauma. It took her two months to get her short-term memory back and she went straight back to coding. This is an inspiring read and she also talks about how she landed her job at the Times and gives tips for starting a career in tech. I loved that piece. And Business Insider profiled a Holberton grad who went from working at Trader Joe's making $20,000 a year to making four times that amount at her new job at a startup called Scalability. 
And then Hypopotamus profiles digital crafts grad Claire Barton, who has a background in library and information science, and is now looking for a job at a mid-sized or larger organization where she can keep learning alongside mentors. Wow, lots of news this month. Yeah, and there's still a bit more. <laughs> Next up, we're going to run down new boot camps and boot camps which have launched new campuses and courses. Liz, tell us about a boot camp in Rwanda. Sure. Okay, first, according to New Times, Rwanda is launching its own coding school, which lasts three years and includes a six-month internship training abroad. This is the Nyabihu Public Coding School. And then there were a couple of articles this month about North Coders, which is opening a new campus in Leeds, UK. They previously just had one campus in Manchester, UK. In one of the articles, the founder also talks about the diversity of the North Coders cohorts, saying that 35% of students are women. And this is from a press release, but still interesting. Coding Dojo has announced a 10th campus in Orange County, California. And then Lubbock Online reports on a new part-time coding academy in Lubbock called Lubbock Coding Academy. The first class starts on February 4th and will be two nights a week for nine months. The program costs $5,960 and the Lubbock Economic Development Alliance is offering grants to businesses who want to support an employee through the program. The program is offered by Austin Coding Academy. According to GeekWire, Nicole Buchanan is stepping down as Ada Developers Academy's director, and Christine Martin, who is a partner and founder at the Vaultus Group, will serve as the interim director. That's an all-women's boot camp, right? Yep, absolutely. And seems like all-women leadership in Seattle. Yeah, cool. And then Innovate Birmingham is launching a 13-week free data analytics boot camp in addition to their 14-week web development boot camp in Birmingham, Alabama. And some local Denver publications covered the launch party for Flatiron's new Denver campus, where CEO and co-founder Adam Enbar spoke about why people love Denver and why Flatiron is opening a campus in a WeWork building there. And then another publication covered Flatiron launching their data science bootcamp at their Houston campus. And finally, this somewhat has to do with Flatiron, but WeWork has announced their new parent company, which is now just called the We Company. And then 1150 Coding Bootcamp founder Scott Jones was interviewed by Inside Indiana Business about his plans to expand it statewide. Scott Jones explains the format of the Coding Bootcamp, what salaries graduates can expect, and talks about how 1150 accepts the GI Bill and how the U.S. Department of Labor has recognized 1150's apprenticeship program. He says he plans to use $1.5 million of state funding to expand the bootcamp to Fort Wayne, Gary, Valparaiso, Terre Haute, and Evansville. Wow, so tons of expansions, new campuses, very interesting. And Imogen, tell us about all of the new coding boot camps that we added to Course Report in January. Yeah, so we had San Diego Global Knowledge University, which runs a coding boot camp in San Diego, California. The University of Redlands Coding Boot Camp in Redlands, California. Manchester Codes in Manchester, UK. Alt Campus in Dharamshala, India. Untapped Code Academy in Cincinnati, Ohio, the Valley Boot Camp in Bangalore, India, Digital Career Institute in Germany, which has campuses in Berlin, Dusseldorf, Hamburg, and Köln, True Coders in Birmingham, Alabama, Was You in Scottsdale, Arizona, and online, Pragra in Mississauga, Canada, Noida, India, and online, and Great Learning in India, which has campuses in Bangalore, Gurgaon, Chennai, and Hyderabad. 
Wonderful. Well, welcome to those 11 new schools. And Imogen, that was a ton of news, but let's finish up the podcast by talking about our favorite articles that we posted on the blog this month. Imogen, do you want to start? What was your favorite piece in January? Sure. So I enjoyed interviewing Ronice Ricardo, a graduate of Flatiron School's Access Labs, a version of their software engineering immersive, which offers deferred tuition for low-income students. Ronice told me about her feelings of imposter syndrome as a woman of color entering tech and how the Flatiron community really embraced her and made her feel welcome in the space. Ronice has now moved from New York to Atlanta to help launch Flatiron's new campus there and she's working as a teaching assistant. Amazing. Well, in light of Data Privacy Day, which was on Monday, my favorite piece was this interview I did with Logan Weir, who had been to a data science boot camp already, and then he spent five years working at a startup, and he said he found himself feeling like a jack-of-all-trades engineer and not like a data scientist. So he went to Galvanize in San Francisco to hone his skills and is now specializing as a machine learning engineer. And in talking to him, I could really tell that he was very intentional about the jobs that he applied to and the companies that he worked at in data. And he told me, quote, my top tech companies are going to be doing ethical, socially responsible work with data and are people who believe in open source data. People call data the oil of the information age. And while it can be used in terrible ways, it can also be used in some pretty amazing ways to benefit people. I've been able to have the ability to follow a moral compass in my career. And so I thought that was nice to share, because especially for people who are graduating from a data science boot camp and entering that world of data, I think we just hear so much negative talk about about the data world right now. Um, And so, yeah, thanks to Logan. That was a lovely sentiment from him. Really cool. Well, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next month on the February Coding Bootcamp News Roundup. And as always, we love feedback. So email us at hello at coursereport.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help other future bootcampers find it by going to iTunes or Stitcher now, subscribing to the Course Report podcast, and leaving a review. And we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye.